Now, Father, as we come to your word, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. You have a right now word for us. Help me, Lord, not to get in the way of what you want to say to your people. I thank you for how the word is able to minister. That even if the subject matter may not be where some of us may be living right now, that doesn't mean that we can't be cleansed by the word and have our minds renewed. So help me preach your word, help your people to hear your word and help all of us to live with us, saith the Lord. For it's in Jesus name that I pray. Amen. Would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Thank you, Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I will read verse 11. And Paul said, and such were some of you. Let me read that again. And such were some of you, because he's talking about the transformational power of Jesus Christ to save souls and deliver people and such were some of you but you were washed but you were sanctified but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God so let's talk today on this final message in this series on sexual healing let's talk about problems with Paul part two Problems with Paul part two, and if I had to subtitle the title, it would be, and such were some of you, or and such were some of us, or if I put a subtitle on the subtitle, it would be before and after, before and after, but I need to let you know that every church has problems, every congregation has problems, no matter how big it might be, no matter how small it might be, every church has problems. No matter if they have a multi-million dollar budget or a budget of thousands, every church has problems because every church is full with problematic people. And then there are people with problems. <laughs> They're problematic folks and then there are people with problems. And whenever you read the New Testament, Every time Paul is writing a letter or John is writing, Peter is writing to the believers, there are problems that need to be worked out in those local churches. And again, let's get buildings out of our mind. No, there, there weren't any church buildings at that time. People met in homes. Uh, they met outdoors. The church was a community that would gather to hear the scriptures read, hear the scriptures expounded on. And so the church in various cities, every one of them had problems. And so those writers were writing to help solve the issues that were going on because sometimes those are personal issues in churches where this person has a problem with that person. You read about that in the book of Philippians where two women had issues against each other and it was splitting and even dividing the churches. People were taking sides in the book of Philippians. And when we come to the book of Corinthians, my goodness, that church in Corinth, Greece, they had some problems. They had a lot of problems. As a matter of fact, in seminary, we were taught 
that when you read the book of uh, Corinthians, first and second Corinthians, you're not going there to learn what to do. You're learning what not to do as a pastor when you read and study the book of first and second Corinthians. Uh, uh, and one problem that this church had, they had many problems, many problems. But one problem they had was that they were taking other Christians to court. I know that may not seem heavy, but it is heavy. And there have been times where churches have been split because people are going to court against one another. So you may see a church that's called uh, Bethel, and then they have a split and they go to court and the next church is called Greater Bethel. You know, because they're trying to let you know we came out from there, but we're greater than them. And, you know, and, and church folk, you know, they, they have issues and they will go to court with each other. And that was a problem in Corinth, Greece. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? So he's saying, okay, everybody's got problems. Every church has problems and problematic people and issues and all that kind of stuff. Okay, there's a way to resolve it, but don't run straight to the law or to the courts. Try to resolve it in the church. Let me read it again. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. So that's a problem. That's a problem. But, but here is solution number one. Let's read verse two. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brothers goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers, exclamation point. So solution number one is find somebody in church to sit down and act as a mediator between the two people who are at odds and work it out. Can't somebody who may not even be an elder or an elder's wife, somebody who may not even have a whole lot of wisdom and depth, somebody who names the name of Jesus, but somebody that's got some common sense to sit down and make a judgment on the issue between two saints that Paul says, it's a small matter, but you've elevated it and you've made it a big matter. So solution number one, work this thing out in the church. Why? Because he says, when you take that in front of unbelievers, that's not a good thing. In other words, it don't make Jesus look good that his people are taking issues to the courts. Oh, my goodness. I could get in trouble if I say what's on my mind right now. I might as well say it. When believers go to the courts, never stop by the church, but want to divorce over irreconcilable differences, it don't make Jesus look good. Mm. I, I, I'm preaching problems with Paul. The church had problems with Paul because of his stands on certain things. And man, over the years, I've had people have problems with me because you try to take a stand on the word of God. And let's have church court before we go downtown to the courthouse. 
Okay, you don't like that solution. Well, let's try the second solution in verse 7. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. You see that? It's an utter failure. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat and you do these things to your brethren. So number two is, if you don't like number one, let church court work it out. Number two is, just be wrong. Just be wrong. Wait a minute, Pat. Hold on. You don't know what they did. Just be wrong. Oh, I don't like all that stuff. Well, for a Christian, it's better to be wronged than to do wrong. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Matthew 5, verses 38 through 40. This is what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. So Jesus said, let him have it. But that's not how we are, right? We, we want to fight. We want to fight because we got to win. But the Lord says, man, just let him have it. How many of us want to do that kind of, man, that's why we need the Holy Spirit to help us not give in to this temptation and this pressure to return evil for evil. My goodness. I, I, I'm going to get some amens later. I'm, I, I know I'm not going to get too many right now. I'm going to get some later. Uh, so Paul is talking to the church. Y'all taking people to court in church. Christians are suing Christians. We're better than that. Church, court, be wrong. Come on, let's not make Jesus look bad to the world. His name is blasphemed among Gentiles because of what the church is doing. Okay, okay, now let's look at verse 9. We got to follow his flow of thought. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It's almost like he pulled that from out of left field unless you're looking at the context. So he's trying to challenge these Christians, do not go to court. Be wrong instead of doing wrong, because when you parade before the unrighteous, you are acting unrighteous yourself. Because there's an expectation on you as one of God's kids to live differently. You're of the kingdom of God, not of this world. So, 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 do you not know that the unrighteous will, in, will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, well, well who are the unrighteous? Well, according to the context, the unrighteous happen to be professing Christians who take other Christians to court. Paul is stepping heavy this morning. So, Christian, if you're willing to take another Christian to court, you might not be a Christian at all because you're acting unrighteously. That's what Paul is saying right here, okay? So, so, so if I am a Christian who is in that church at Corinth, I'm about to move my membership, but if I'm a Christian in that church at Corinth, and I've already taken somebody to court, or I'm talking about taking somebody to court, and he's saying that I'm unrighteous if I do that, and that I might not inherit, or rather will not inherit the kingdom of God, I'm going to have a problem with Paul. Man, who do you think you are? God's apostle. But, but anyway, anyway, you got the nerve to try to say that I won't inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? In this context, it is heaven. So if I am unrighteous because I'm taking other Christians to court, then I will not go to heaven. Isn't that narrow? 
But narrow is the way and the gate that leads to life. Man, Paul, you're being a little hard, brother. Well, come on now. We got to think about the glory of God. And, and the fear of the Lord should keep us from sinning. So, man, turn around. Drop the lawsuit. Work it out with each other. If you want to go to heaven, if you claim you're a Christian, if you're righteous, man, that shouldn't even be on the table for you. Because you got to know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, I have a friend who I called last week to encourage. Christian brother was at odds with another Christian brother who stole some money from him. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he decided, the friend that was violated, to turn the other cheek. He decided not to take it to court. He decided to let it go. go he, he can just have it. And that's that Jesus stuff. We get bent out of shape over a few dollars, but hundreds of thousands? Because he believes God can give it back to him. Whatever he loses, God's going to give back to him. His times are in God's hands. So, so he decided, I'm not getting messy with court, my God. And so Paul is saying that if you do this, you are unrighteous. And again, I know people in that church had a problem with their preacher that day. Who do you think you ought to say that? Well, that's why he says in verse 9 again, he says, uh, do, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. In other words, don't think that what you're doing is right when it's wrong. Don't deceive yourself. Don't trick yourself. Don't fool yourself. Don't lie to yourself that what you're doing is right. No, you are being deceived. Do not be deceived about this matter. So he's, again, trying to encourage these folks. And then he says in the rest of verse 9, I'm a, i got to go back again. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, y'all. Don't, don't fool yourself. And while we're at it, neither fornicators. So, so, so he's like, okay, y'all were going to court in front of unbelievers. Man, mm -mm -mm -mm. you're unrighteous. You ain't going to heaven, bro. And while I'm at it, neither fornicators. Ah, Lord. Not many of you should try to be a preacher. I know it's Pastor Appreciation Month, but pastors are not always appreciated. <laughs> Paul said to the church at Galatia, after challenging them because they turned from grace to law, he said, uh, have I now become your enemy because I spoke the truth to you? And a lot of times as a pastor, we become enemies because we speak the truth to people. And so Paul is not too popular, but Paul is okay because he knows who he's running his race for. And so it goes on now in verse 9, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, that's people who are not married having sex, nor idolaters, people worshiping images made by man, nor adulterers, that's married people having sex outside of marriage, nor homosexuals, that's people of the same sex having sex together, nor sodomites, that, uh, that involves people forcing themselves on other people. Uh, uh, won't go any further into that. And then he says, nor thieves, people that steal from other people, nor covetous, people that covet what other folks have. 
nor drunkards, people that abuse alcohol and substances, nor revilers, people that always start stuff and slander people, nor extortioners, people that steal uh, on a corporate level, uh, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul, aren't you being a little tough? No, I'm trying to be truthful. You see, some people have problems with Paul because he expects Christians to turn from sin. Because in the next verse, he says, uh, and such were some of you. You used to be this, but you're not that anymore. So I'm expecting you to live like who you are and not like who you were. Because you're a new creation in Jesus Christ. There's a transformation that took place and is taking place because of Jesus. So there is more expected of you because you have a relationship, or at least you say you do, with Jesus Christ. Now, again, some people have problems with Paul, probably right there in that church, because they expected Christians to turn from sin. But let me add an addendum here, especially sexual sin. Oh, pastor, there you go. You had me till you said that. But he expects people to turn from sin who name the name of Jesus, especially sexual sin. Why? What was going on in Corinth? What was Corinth about? Corinth was a cesspool of immorality. People from all over the world would stop by there because they had um, a, a port there. And so many sailors and people would come in with all kinds of philosophies and looking for things and needs and all this stuff. So Corinth was Vegas before Vegas was Vegas. It was Sin City. And when people would come to Corinth, there was this temple there where a statue of the love goddess Aphrodite resided. So there's this idol there, Aphrodite. Well, who is Aphrodite? She is the Greek goddess of love. So right there in Corinth was Aphrodite, this idol, this statue to her, this temple that housed over 1,000 male and female prostitutes. And people would worship Aphrodite through illicit sexual relations. So it's in that culture that Paul stayed for 18 months, planting a church and discipling new believers. <clears throat> excuse me, both Jew and Greek. And when they came out of that, some of that was still in them, okay? You could take people out of Egypt, but Egypt is still in the people. Uh, we're born again, but the world is still in our flesh. We all have struggles and issues. God knows that. God knows we struggle, but he gives us grace to grow and truth to move on and to walk upright and to live up to what we've attained spiritually. None of us are perfect, but we have a perfect God with a perfect love and we press on. We forget the things behind. We're new people. We're being transformed on and on and on. And so in Corinth, there was an idol, there was fornication, there was adultery, there was sodomy, and there was homosexuality. And that explains why he starts off this list after talking about people going to court with other Christians. He then names the vices that are prevalent in that city. Mm. And so he says to them, that's what you used to be. 
and such were some of you. You see that in verse 11, and such were some of you. Some of you were fornicators, but you're not anymore. Some of you were idolaters worshiping Aphrodite, but you're not anymore. Some of you were adulterers, but you're not anymore. Some of you were homosexuals and sodomites, but you're not anymore. Some of you were thieves, but you're not anymore. Some of you were covetous and drunkards, but you're not anymore. Some of you were revilers and extortioners, but you're not anymore. Why? Because you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. You used to be somebody that would slide in folks' DMs. But you don't do that anymore. Amen? You used to be somebody that abused alcohol and substances, but you don't do that anymore because you have met Jesus, which means you have a before and an after. You see, and just because you used to do something, that doesn't mean that your flesh doesn't still want to do it. Real people can say amen. Amen. Just because you used to do this doesn't mean you don't want to do it anymore. But because of the new you, you can't do the things that the old you used to do. Because God has given you a brand new want to. Oh, man, I wonder if I could say that again. Let's see here. (laughs) There's a new you that can't do the stuff that the old you used to do, even if you may want to, because God put a new want to inside of you. It ain't the same, but I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. I'm saved, but still, there's a reality, man. In my flesh dwells no good thing. And the flesh is contrary to the spirit. They're fighting against each other. And I yield to the spirit to have authority over my flesh. But I'm not always thinking spiritually or being filled with the Holy Spirit. And my flesh has a mind of its own. And i got to crucify the flesh and its affections. And it's not, all that stuff is the Christian walk. I remember, man, I used to cuss like a sailor. Yeah, your pastor used to cuss like a sailor. I didn't cuss at home, no. I had enough sense. Don't cuss at home. <laughs> but, but when I went to school, uh, man, at the lunch table, man, I cuss, cuss, cuss. Every other word, cuss. But as I began to grow in Jesus, he changed my tongue. I no longer speak in uh, uh, other languages now. I, 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 I <laughs> but that don't mean I don't want to. Because some stuff you think a cuss word will just fix it, you know. (laughs) And such were some of you. Before and after. You see, the church should celebrate Christians who turn away from old lifestyles. The church, we should celebrate that. Why? Because it gives glory to God about his power to change your life. So we should celebrate when someone says... I'm done with alcohol and abusing alcohol. We should be the first ones to celebrate that. When someone says, man, I'm done living in adultery, we should be the ones who celebrate that. When someone says, I'm done using drugs and I'm done with pornography, I'm fleeing fornication, we should rejoice. When they say, I'm I'm done with stealing from folks, we should rejoice. I'm done with lying. 
we should rejoice. But why are some Christians hesitant to encourage unbelievers and believers alike to turn away from homosexual behavior and identities? We're hesitant, you know. Yeah, we're going to celebrate all that other stuff. Amen. But on this, wait, wait, hold, wait a minute. Um, but he says, and such were some of you. You were that, but you're not that anymore. You were a reviler, but you're not that anymore. You were a homosexual, but you're not that anymore. You don't practice homosexuality anymore. The urge may still be in you, and you may, may be with you till the day that you die, but you're not that anymore. We should be celebrating. But instead, we're hesitant, and we'd rather leave someone in sin as opposed to believing that God can change someone through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Love coupled with truth. Why are some Christians hesitant to embrace and promote the testimonies of believers who God has delivered and is delivering from homosexuality? Many times when people come out of homosexuality and they come to Jesus and they turn around and share their testimony, there are some Christians who can't even rejoice with them. They cancel them. You know why? Because it goes against their ideology and their politics. Jackie Hill Perry is very clear about what she was, that she was gay, she was a lesbian, and God rescued her, and now she turns around and shares that message with others, and also the honesty that she still has desires that go that way, but she doesn't act on those desires. You would think we would celebrate her, and many of us do, but there is still a portion in the body of Christ that doesn't want to hear her or anyone else that has that testimony. Why? What is it about this particular? Because we don't do that with alcoholism. We don't say, man, an alcoholic, you know. No, we're celebrating when people are coming out of anything that once had them bound and that goes against the will of God. That's why people have problems with Paul. He had an expectation that there was going to be a before and after experience. Every sinner has a future because of Jesus. And every saint has a past when they didn't have Jesus. But the point is, we all have Jesus and we all have hope. He's the life changer. We've all seen before and after pictures. We've all seen them. The before and after. Somebody's trying to lose weight or gain weight and they have these programs out. And they'll show a before picture of what the person was. And then they show an after picture after they work the program of what they look like now. The purpose of the before and after is to encourage the person in the picture to keep on going. And also to motivate people looking at the picture to say, if that could happen to him, it could happen to me. Before and after. But it's a problem when your after still looks like your before. Somebody missed it. Somebody missed it. You say you after, but you still look like you before. That's a problem. I got to go deep on you now. I got to go deep. I got to call on an extra biblical resource right now to help explain this point. I'll go back to 1961. Hannah Barbera. They had a cartoon called The Flintstones. And there was an episode in The Flintstones where Fred got hired by a TV producer to be in a commercial. And Fred thought he was the after. 
But when the show came on, Fred realized he was the before. His wife and his homie, Barney, had to say, Fred, you weren't the after dude. You were the before dude. You were the dude out of shape. And so Fred had to come to grips with the reality that he wasn't where he thought he was. He thought he was after, but he was still before. And there are a lot of Christians who think they're after, but they're still acting like the before. You know, when you meet Jesus, you can't stay the same. When you meet him as Savior, he transforms everything about you. My God, you are not the same. Again, you're a new creation. When you meet him, oh my God. When time met the master, time changed. Pastor, what are you talking about? You know, time, time. That began in the book of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created, and that's when time started. But when time met the master, when, when the master was born of a virgin, time said, he has so impacted me that I'm going to divide my life between B.C. and A.D. B.C. is before Christ. A.D. is in the year of our Lord. So time said he so shook up my life that there's this breaking point of what I was before him and what I am after him. And you got folks who don't even want to acknowledge B.C. before Christ or A.D. in the year of our Lord because everything is on Jesus. So they'll say B.C.E. before the common era. After the common era. But no, time said, if I testify, I'm going to tell you, he shook me up. And I just wonder if there's anybody here that when he came into your life, when he found you, it's not so much that you found him. He found you and allowed you to find him. Did he shake you up with, to the point where you got a B.C. before Christ and an A.D. in the year of our Lord? Man, he changed me. The guy writing this says, Pastor Chris, I could testify and tell you before I met him, I thought I was serving God. I went around persecuting Christians and, and persecuting those who are part of the church and the way I thought I was doing God a favor. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Man, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was brought up in the law. I was righteous. At least I thought I was. But when I met him, he knocked me off my horse on the road to Damascus. I heard a voice saying, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And I said, is that you? Who are you, Lord? His life was changed, blinded for three days. And for those three days blind, he saw more than he ever saw when he had sight. Got up, changed. Started planting churches and making disciples and writing letters because Jesus changed the trajectory of his life. This ain't religion. This is relationship. Do you know him like that? Well, you could talk about what you used to be without him and what you are now because of him. So it's not about even something happened to me. It's about someone has happened to me. And that's why he says again in verse 11 as I close, and such were some of you. Those things are in your past. Doesn't mean you don't struggle with them in the present. But what happened to you in the past when you met him still has bearings on your present and your future. Jesus is all of that and then some. And such were some of you taking people to court, uh, fornicating, being an idolater, an adulterer. That was what you were. That's not who you are now. Why? Because you were washed. You took a bath? No. 
his blood washed you of the guilt of your sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You were washed. You were sanctified. You got to know who you are. What happened to you? Sanctify what that means? Sanctify means set apart. That you were on this road going to destruction. But he took you off of that road and set you on this road going to heaven. He set you apart from hell and set you unto heaven. He set you apart from Adam and the consequences of his unbelief. And he set you to the road of obedience through Jesus Christ, the last Adam. And you receive his righteousness. He picked you up, turned you around, placed your feet on solid ground. He sanctified you. So if he sets you over here, why you keep running back over there? That's not who you are anymore. And we celebrate our deliverance because of him and other folks' deliverance. And then he says, and you were justified. Paul is saying, I got to tell y'all who y'all are so you can act like who you are. Justified means it's a legal term. You were once guilty in the courts of heaven. Deserving of eternal death, which is separation from God in a place called hell. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So when we get to heaven, none will boast that we got here because we were good. We will only boast in the Lord because we got here because he was so good. And so we've been justified, which means to be declared righteous in the courts of heaven. That God looks at his children and he says, you are righteous. So don't act unrighteously. You are righteous. I said that's who you are. And no devil in hell can change what I've said about you legally. You are righteous. You are declared righteous. You will one day be made righteous in glory. But until then, you are walking in righteousness by faith. That's the gospel. And he's letting these folks know. And I like how he says, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. So let's not get it twisted whose name justifies us. And by the spirit of our God, because once you trust Jesus and his righteousness is imputed and cancels out your unrighteousness, God then gives you his spirit to live inside of you, to bear witness with your human spirit that you are a child, a daughter of God. That's the good news. You are never alone because God is with you. He's in you. He didn't leave you as an orphan. His spirit is in you uh, and allowing you to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, I thank you that I know you and you know me. His spirit is in you and empowers you to live for Jesus, having authority even over your flesh. His spirit, the name of Jesus. Paul is saying, Corinth, you got to know who you are and and whose you are because it has bearings on how you live. So in conclusion, some people have problems with Paul because he expects Christians to turn from unrighteousness, <laughs> especially sexual sins. Pastor, why you guys say that? I've told you before in this series, the first thing noticeably affected when Adam and Eve fell was their sexuality. It is the only sin that is spoken of in terms of same-sex relations as being an abomination. 
It's the only sin, according to 1 Corinthians 6, where you sin against your own soul. Stealing doesn't sin against your soul. Alcohol doesn't sin against your soul. Reviling people, coveting. But it's this one, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that says when you are fornicating, you sin against your soul. So God is trying to protect us and our soul. And I know people had a problem with Paul then, just like some have a problem with Paul now. But God believes that anyone who trusts his son will not stay the same. That's really the proof in the pudding. Has Jesus come into your life? Because if he has, you will not be the same. That means you won't struggle, but you will not be the same. So we've got to preach the gospel to folks so they can meet the one who saved us. God does not change. He changes not. But he expects his children to change. It's called spiritual growth. And such were some of you. I'm not where I want to be, but I thank God I'm not where I used to be. There's a transformation that happens. When you see a butterfly, sometimes it's so easy to forget as it soars across the sky that the butterfly was once a creeping thing. It was once a caterpillar creeping around. But it went through a transformation where a husk was developed around it. And in that husk, that caterpillar began to be transformed. And in order for the caterpillar, or rather the butterfly, to fly, in the process of the transformation, it has to use its legs to get out of the cocoon. If a human comes along and cuts the process short, the butterfly will die because it needs to strain in order to grow. So you may think you're helping it, but you're hurting it. Let it strain to get out of the cocoon so that it can be what it was meant to be. But it started off as a caterpillar. We were caterpillars. But through the grace of God, we've been transformed to be butterflies to fly with Jesus and for Jesus. But I can't call myself a butterfly if I'm still creeping and crawling around like a caterpillar. There has to be something in my life that's different. And Jesus is the difference maker. And the church, the redeemed of the Lord, as Brother Ben Cassis said in class this morning, Dan Cassis said in class this morning, that Jesus is the one who transforms us. Because when you meet him, you can't stay the same. So Wednesday night, the redeemed, we, we've been redeemed. I need to hear some testimonies. I need to hear some say-sos about what you were before Jesus and what you are now because of Jesus. Doesn't mean you've arrived, but man, he is the one who changed your life. So we're going to have an old school testimony service on Wednesday. Because somebody needs to hear your testimony so that it can motivate them. You need to say your testimony so it can encourage yourself. But sometimes in the church, we don't want people to know where we came from. But, but here's the glory. You don't look like what you've been through. It don't look like what you came through. And for other people to hear, you struggle with that. 
That had you bound for a minute? You survived abuse? My God, that gives me hope. And every testimony is not to say, look at us. It's to say, look at him. So here's one way we're going to get you out. We're going to feed you first. <laughs> Gastric discipleship. We, we're going to feed you first at 6 o'clock. We're providing food. Nobody's going to touch it. We're still careful. And then at 630, we're going to worship. We're going to sing. We're going to open up the mic to let people just come up and talk about that wonder named Jesus, who he is to you, what he means to you. And we're just going to give God glory that he saved us, is changing us. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And some of you may say, man, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Write it down if you're not good at sharing your testimony. Write it down and then come up and share your testimony. And it can be about whatever, but, but make it about Jesus, how he changed your life. Because my wife, she got saved at a young age. She was discipled well by parents. She don't know nothing about alcohol abuse or fornication or any of that kind of stuff that I know about. She don't know about that stuff. But she still got a testimony. And her testimony, I'm going to let her tell it on uh, uh, Wednesday. Some of y'all need to testify, man, I used to hate my father. But Jesus said, let that go. I did not forgive the person. And God said, forgive. Somebody needs to hear that testimony. And listen, we're not going to televise this. This is, this is not going to be online. So you don't need to worry that your uncle, your auntie going to hear you say, you had a problem with me. I didn't know you had a No, no, you're just going to testify. <laughs> or it may be what God's walking you through right now. I don't know. But let's get together. We're going to sing. We're going to eat. We're going to worship. It's going to be a good time. But I asked Mike if he could just lead us and Jewel just in a couple of them old songs about being washed. Can we do that for a minute? It's 1206, but let's take, can we stand for a minute? Let's just worship Jesus and thank him that he didn't leave us where we were, but he came to us and brought us out. And then Jewel will close us in prayer.